Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and if they made a musical about my life, it would be called In the Addle. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Do you get it? In the Addle, like uh, Seattle? Because yeah. uh-huh. like In the Heights is Washington Heights for short. Yeah, the Addle. Everyone Adel. calls it that. Yeah. In the Addle. Yeah. Joining me today is Devendra Hardwar. You know, In the Heights has a lot of singing and dancing, but I think the real New York uh, has even more. I'm a little disappointed here. (laughs) And Jeff Kanata. Quiet down, guys. I just want to listen to my block. (laughs) Uh, Welcome to the podcast, everyone. Today on this podcast, of course, later on, we're going to be reviewing In the Heights with guest Carlos Aguilar. Really excited for that conversation. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. In addition to our In the Heights review, uh, we got some, what we've been watching for you today, some weekly plugs in the After Dark. We got some mailbag stuff, uh, as well as some conversation about the Hacks season finale on HBO Max. So that's what's in store for you today on the Slash Filmcast. A lot of stuff coming up for you. If you want to support this podcast, by the way, there's a couple ways to do that. First of all, you can go to Patreon.com slash FilmPodcast. And sign up for either ad-free episodes or ad-free episodes and After Darks, depending on which tier you back us at. Uh, and also, super easy way to support us for free, just go to Apple Podcasts. Leave a review for us. It would be very, very greatly appreciated. It takes like two minutes of your time. If you enjoy listening to hours of this podcast, it's it's not literally the least you could do, because literally the least you could do is nothing. You know, right. just do nothing. Yeah. But it's like like the next thing which up. From, statistically... From, the vast majority of you are. <laughs> yes, that's right. The that's least right. you could do to help. How about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But but no. consider doing just slightly more than the absolute yeah, least well, you could do. Like like actually ninety plus percent of you are doing the least you can do. <laughs> but consider just being one of the ten percent that's doing like slightly more than the least. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This week, before we get to all that stuff, though, this week some major news dropped, which is. A video game was announced based on one of the most culturally relevant films of all time. Indeed. I'm so glad we're talking about this. Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. Now, E3 is happening, the Electronics Entertainment Expo, but it's not really E3 because it's a... Experience, really, this year. It's a a, uh, a, a pandemic version of it, right? E3 was was one of the largest video game uh, conventions in, in the country, if not the world. Yes, no. and uh, it, it pales in comparison to Gamescom and stuff like that. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. for pure size, but for significance, yes, for uh, level of uh, company announcement and big news, mm. yeah, probably unrivaled. So rather than bring a bunch of people together this year, um, they wisely said, "Hey, let's let's do this, uh, you know, via streaming or you know via live streaming or and do it remotely for many of the announcements." And I think this was the Ubisoft. Yes. Um, re- remote, right? So, so Jeff Kanata, you have been covering this for DLC, your game podcast. Yes. Um, and I actually listened to your your uh, your podcast this morning and, and thought it was very good. Thank you. Um, and I want you to talk about what it was like to watch the announcement of this game. You should have live, like, yeah. I wish you. Were, I mean, had I known, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora. Tell had us about. I known. Tell us yeah. about what your reaction was. Well. I'm sure most people listening are aware of this, but I'll just reiterate it just in case. The the structure of these presentations 
usually, and like any big, you know, Apple presentations, any of these big presentations, they want to save <laughs> the best thing for uh-huh. last, right? Uh-huh. The big surprise mic drop moment mm-hmm. where they mm-hmm. wow the crowd with the most jaw dropping, coolest thing they have in their holster. And Ubisoft, who, you know, uh, puts Makers out some big, of big... Avatar the game. James Cameron's <laughs> Avatar, the game, yes. In 1990, whatever that was. Uh, yeah, whenever that movie came out. I don't, yeah. I don't even remember, you know? <laughs> uh, That's no, how much that year mattered. 2000s. Yeah. I mean, I um, mean we, should, we should clarify, by the way, for those who are, like, you know, we get new listeners every week. And for recent people who are tuning in, the Slash Filmcast has had a longstanding debate about the cultural relevance of James Cameron's Avatar. One, at one point, one of the, or the most financially successful movie of all time. I think we were ahead of the curve on this debate too. It's kind oh, of yeah, taken. Definitely. It's kind of become mainstream this debate. But I feel like we were having the argument before the argument was a meme. We were bickering pointlessly long before the internet was doing Let so. Let it be I, known I, that we <laughs> wasted your time before everybody else wasted your time. Correct. Correct. And and in general, Jeff is a is a firm believer in the cultural relevance and enduring power of Avatar. I think it's where, a great movie. Whereas Devendra Hardwar and, sure. and myself are a little I bit also, more... I think it's a great movie that everybody forgot. Yeah, sure. Whereas Devendra the... and I are a little bit more skeptical about... <laughs> and, and me, I think um, in some ways it's a bad movie, but I also <laughs> really enjoyed the movie. So yeah, parts David, it, yeah. at the end of the day, isn't it amazing that James Cameron made a movie at it's, all? It is true. It's true. Thank Isn't you. Isn't it amazing that, that Ubisoft made a second game to a movie that is more than ten years old, and the game may actually come out before the second movie in that series? <laughs> it's certainly possible. It's amazing. Okay, uh, so so yes, they save in general. They save their best for life. I mean, I don't know about best, Jeff. I think sometimes they save like a, a, a neat little surprise, a, a kind of cherry on top. Get people Sunday, you know? talking, walking yeah, out of yeah, the yes. walking out Something of the auditorium. You didn't expect. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. 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 The, the the last thought they want to leave you with is the most scintillating. Yes. Remember Avatar? It's back in game form. Yeah. <laughs> in pod <Yes>. form. <laughs> Remember Avatar? Of course we all do because it's hugely relevant to our culture. Uh-huh. Okay. That's so the, I think the so you're watching away. the Ubisoft live stream, right? Yeah, it's actually, I think we got confirmation, Dave, that it's Ubisoft uh-huh. because their new logos on all of the games at, at this conference uh-huh. said a ubisoft original and if it was ubisoft it would be an ubisoft original is that why they did that the thing is like i've talked to a lot of like the the french folks at ubisoft at ubisoft and they were very much into the ubisoft but maybe they were just being french (laughs) they're yeah Yeah. just a couple of years ago at e3 they had a video in their presentation that made fun of the fact that no one knew how to pronounce it whether it was ubisoft or ubisoft but i feel like Putting a a logo on all your games that says a Ubisoft original, mm-hmm. I think that decides it, right? There's no there's no equivocation I, anymore. Yeah, that's not confusing at all to yeah young kids because I, <laughs> I learned in school you don't do that. How are they? <laughs> it's a big company. They're doing it. Guys, this is a completely pointless conversation. Let's get back to talking about Avatar. <laughs> Thank yeah. you, Dave. Thank you. Let's get back to Thank what matters. Yeah, let's get back to anyway, what matters. Anyway, so... Uh, okay, so you're so watching I the watched, Ubisoft live you know, stream. I yep. was already surprised that Mario <laughs> plus Rabbit Sparks of Hope was announced. It's a major game and a big franchise. Mm-hmm. We didn't even know. Super Mario. What? What? icon could be larger than mario <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and rabbits mm-hmm. and rabbits but mario you know i mean there's really only one franchise that could be more <laughs> p- 
powerful that could leave people buzzing on a higher mm-hmm. level mm-hmm. than yeah. I think the king, undisputed king of video games, Mario. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that is, of course, what they did. Ending the show with uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora, uh, which I think looks pa- beautiful. Pandora, Pandora? Pandora? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. You don't, know. You don't remember, huh? Pandora. You don't remember, Jeff. Excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were Avatar's biggest fan. I am. I am. Pandora. Okay. Okay. So, what what was your emotional journey as it began to dawn on you what was happening in this live stream? I mean, like most of us, I'm sure the first image that came mm-hmm. up, I thought that looks like <laughs> that looks like Pandora. Which or I did, Pandora, uh, which one of the it, yes. two, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and you see the creatures, and I thought, oh, this the looks cre- like Avatar. The creatures? Pray tell, what are they called, Jeff? Yeah. You know, the, the famous creatures from the movie with <laughs> the, the tails and the, and the hoi hoi. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh, the the, uh-huh. uh, the fancy course, silicon chips and such. Then, of course, uh, <laughs> my, my thumbs furiously tweeted uh, at both of you. Uh, the uh, the joy I was experiencing <laughs> mm-hmm. of yeah. this mic drop moment, uh, yeah. Avatar is going to be back in a big way. Mark my words, pan media extravaganza. Uh, yeah. Everybody is going to be cynical until the day it comes out, and then once it comes out and it's amazing, people are going to be like, "That movie was so awesome." The, the gonna... last Avatar game, guys, is so old. It also came out on the Nintendo DS, Java <laughs> ME, and ja- Symbian Three. Symbian. <laughs> Isn't that that thing that? Never mind. It's the um, thing. It's a different thing, Jeff. It's a different thing. Yeah. Is it? Uh, mm. yeah. Hello. So okay. <laughs> so you saw the footage, Jeff. It looks great. I mean, yeah. it, sure. Doesn't it? It looks. It, I mean, it looks, looks gorgeous. The engine looks gorgeous, right? Yeah, it looks gorgeous. That's what Ubi does. Yeah. yeah, they make big open world. You know, I don't know. Uh, I don't know how the game is going to play. I don't. You know, it, it's not. It's a 2022 release alongside the sequel movie you know the tandem they're gonna come out hand in hand just on uh, as like clockwork what, you know like yeah like uh nothing with james cameron's name attached has ever been delayed before so mm, certainly <laughs> yeah. not this movie yeah, not this movie. <laughs> um you know guys i was also following the stream live and we were doing our live e3 coverage and gadget and i was co-hosting with uh, jessica condit who is who's fabulous it took jessica until the end of the trailer when they displayed the name Avatar, you'd be like, oh, huh, Avatar. I also said Avatar like at the beginning as we were like talking about the trailer. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's that's more reality, Jeff. That is real people looking at this thing and being like, blue people? What? What <laughs> is dare you. And then you got to see the name, the title, which doesn't even use the papyrus font anymore. No. Um, that was, that was surprising. That was the biggest Avatar shock. Yeah. You saw that SNL sketch with uh, Ryan Gosling, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I am psyched to reconnect with Ewa, bond with a Declan, and earn my title of Taruk Mato. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> just because the fr- just because the terminology is not immediately just because on all it has of our completely tongues. left Jeff's skull completely like he he literally couldn't tell you what any of those things I said were. Mm-hmm. It doesn't still mean they're not cool. Movie. It doesn't mean they're not cool. <laughs> just because I don't memorize the names, come on, Jeff, you you memorize everything about the MCU <laughs> and the Marvel universe. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I, mean, I am so curious. And by the way, this this uh, game is coming out before the movie, right? 
I, we I don't think so. Well, yeah, we sometime don't it most likely will come out before. <laughs> Let's statistically, that. statistically, everything that's ever happened in human history has occurred before mm-hmm. Avatar Two has come out. Yeah, and I think this game might continue the trend, but we'll see. Mm. Um. So yeah, are you are you actually excited about this game? Like legit? I are am. You it looks great. It looks really it, cool. I, I mean, mean I played. I I played and finished that previous Avatar game. Are you serious? Yeah, what, we reviewed uh, it. What happened the, in that game, Jeff? It's it's not good. It is not a good game. But that doesn't mean the movie is bad. Like it's a facto. It's not like it reflects on the movie. There's a plenty of awesome movies that have terrible video games. Oh, absolutely, mm. absolutely. I just yeah, this thing looks fine, but it looks it looks like Horizon Zero Dawn. You know, meets meets Assassin's Creed stuff with, with the with the with the, the Avatar shininess. Like I'll play yeah, it. It looks cool, but uh, I don't. You named, yeah, you named I'm two not very cool ex- games just then. <laughs> yeah, two other games that are you know I think a lot more. Uh, I don't know, influential and interesting. But hey, maybe, maybe Avatar Frontiers of Pandora will change my mind. I will say, tongue out of cheek for just one second. Mm -hmm. It's not nothing that somebody at this billion dollar video game company Mm -hmm. made the decision to have that be the final game of their presentation. That's not nothing. I agree, I, mean, also, with you that, I agree with you that it is not nothing. It is not nothing. They also announced... You know I what's think, also not nothing? Literally everything. <laughs> literally nothing. Um, the heat death of the universe. Yeah. Um, Ubisoft said, I think, at last year or two years ago, that they were working on an Avatar game, too. So it's not a huge surprise. We right. knew they were doing something. Yeah. But it's an E3 showstopper. That's pretty good. It's definitely what nobody is talking about. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well... Some film news for you guys there. Avatar is going to become a video game, according to Jeff. It's going to be called Frontiers of Pandoria. Pandoria. Not according and to me. What do you mean, according to me? It's, should, according, it's, it's the, that's the, the news. That's the, I didn't make it up. I, I no, know, you, made Jeff, it, you made it Pandora. You, you I, I, oh, Pandora. this moment, oh, I see. you still don't know that it's called Pandora. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch that that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Uh, I'll talk about uh, several things I've been watching. First of all, I had a chance to watch this movie called Infinite, which is streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. Right. This is the sequel to Limitless, right? I wish. Hmm. I wish. Uh, I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. A man discovers that his hallucinations are actually visions from past lives. Ooh, that's cool. Oh, okay, yeah. That sounds cool. I'm down with that. This is a new Mark Wahlberg movie directed by Antoine Fuqua, and it's it was kind of a uh, a casualty of the pandemic in the sense that this movie was supposed to come out in theaters, and uh, legend has it that Mark Wahlberg and Antoine Fuqua were blindsided when Paramount decided to release it straight to streaming. Um, at, at the end of the day, though, I think they actually lucked out because... It's better that fewer people saw this movie. And in fact, <laughs> if I had if I had um, paid money or spent time to drive to a theater to see this, I'd probably be reviewing it much more harshly than mm-hmm. even I am right sure. now. Yeah, I think this movie is just absolutely baffling, guys. This is one of the most confusing disasters I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> one I'm of the interested. That, Go well, on. What, what makes yeah. it so? Does it just not hold together? Uh, logically or what's wrong with it i'll say a couple things first of all like the the dialogue is extremely stilted right secondly the movie that reminds people a lot of is the old guard uh which is good movie you know these people who like live for hundreds and hundreds of years the difference is 
that in this movie, the main character is not played by an inc- incredibly charismatic Charlize Theron or Theron. It's played by a near comatose Mark Wahlberg. Who, <laughs> so Mark Wahlberg. See, I mean, dude, at one point, Mark Wahlberg at one point. was one of my favorite actors, right? I mean, this guy had <laughs> appeared in, yeah, like Boogie Nights was a re- revelation to sure, me sure, when sure. I saw it decades ago. Yeah. Um, this was a while ago. <laughs> Yeah, I mean the the, the 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 Departed. He was pretty good in that. I mean, yeah, I, he was good in the Departed. I love the Boogie yeah. Nights as well. I didn't walk yeah. out of it going, Mark Wahlberg is one of my favorite actors. But. He was he was so good. He brought a vulnerability uh, and a kind of he was kind of like a proto uh, almost Tony Soprano, I guess, because I've been watching a lot of the Sopranos recently. But <laughs> maybe maybe not. But there's probably better analogies. You know what I'm saying? Like he, you walked out he, of it thinking someday that's got that guy is going to play Sully from the Uncharted games. <laughs> After years of saying he was going to be the lead in the Uncharted movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So he is not great in this film, unfortunately. And the problem with this movie is that the premise is way too complicated for the movie. Like, that's really what the issue is. It's so complicated that it it appears they have inserted in voiceover towards the beginning of the film to explain what Mm. is going on. Um. Okay, here, let, let, me, let me read a more detailed plot summary from Wikipedia, okay? Uh, this is just like one paragraph. So, uh, Evan McCauley, who's played by Mark Wahlberg, possesses skills he has never learned and memories of places he has never visited, which haunt his daily life. Self-medicated and on the brink of a mental breakdown, which, by the way, like, <laughs> the, the, uh, a huge part of this character is that he is uh, schizophrenic. Uh, this he's, seems he's, he's diagnosed paranoid schizophrenic, uh, this is well, not because right, a... he's, he's hearing voices. Correct. Not, it's but not because of a schizophrenia. Lives. It's it's because of this cool sci-fi correct, premise. Correct. But it is yeah. a terrible, not particularly sympathetic or accurate depiction of schizophrenia. It, it, it's it's not even a depiction at all. It's just like right. mm-hmm. he 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 like sees visions of his past life, and he's like, yeah, I, I saw like a you know fifteen you know thirty doctors diagnose me with it, and it's like at no point do I actually believe that this guy had a difficult life. Okay. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, Evan is brought to a secret group that calls themselves Infinites, that's the name of the title, revealing to him that his memories may be real, but they are from multiple past lives. The Infinites bring Evan into their extraordinary world where a gifted few are given the ability to be reborn with their memories and knowledge accumulated over centuries. With critical secrets buried in his past, Evan must work with the Infinites to unlock the answers in his memories in a race against time to save humanity from one of their own, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, who seeks to end (laughs) all life. Who seeks to end all life to stop what he views as the cursed, endless cycle of reincarnation? <laughs> so, what does so, he so, have against immortals? <laughs> so for? I, I think this is kind of a cool way to get to immortality, right? It's not that your body lives forever; it's just that your memories are around forever. So it doesn't matter if your body dies because you're just going to continue picking up where you left off, right? That's cool. It's a cool idea. Yeah. Um, cool. So uh, first of all, I like how Robert Daniels, former guest on the show, uh, Roger Ebert, describes Chiwetel Ejiofor's accent in this movie. He says, <laughs> I couldn't spot the genesis of his thick, obnoxious accent that borders on Saturday morning cartoon special in its wide specificity. <laughs> which I think is a great... It. It, wide it is both, specificity? It is both extremely specific... <laughs> And big. And also incredibly broad at the same time. I have no idea what the hell he's doing in this movie. Okay, so... He thought he was in the Old Guard sequel, right? That's what he signed up for. And it was, it was same maybe, thing, guys. Same maybe. thing. Okay, so yes, the premise is not in and of itself inherently terrible. Sure. But Antoine Fuqua, you know, yeah. He can make a movie, good movie. But yeah, it, but it's so complicated. 
that the movie spends a good 30 minutes of its one hour and 40 minute runtime just explaining what is actually <laughs> listen, happening. Listen, listen. You're not immortal. It's just your soul. And it's yeah, just and you can accumulate diagram. the things. Yeah. And there's this thing called the egg that can be used uh-huh. to end the entire planet. So Chiwetelo Ejiofor is like, I'm tired of being reincarnated. And the way that I'm going to end this is literally by killing every living thing on the planet. Like, that's his whole thing. He's like, okay. I'm, I've, I've had enough of this. And But it's so complicated the way, like, all these people's origins. And then I think, in my opinion, one big problem with this movie is... The idea is that Mark Wahlberg has lived lots of past lives, right? And you actually see some of these past lives in flashback. But in the past life, it's played by a whole completely different actor. Sure, sure. yeah. And, and so often he's fighting different people in his past. And it's like, I don't know which one of these people is supposed to be Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> I, feel like the, uh, been, I feel like it would have been worse if it had been Wal- Mark Wahlberg yeah. in all of his past lives, though. It can't, it can't always be Mark. Like, I, I don't know. Japanese I mean, like, have you seen qua- point, ever, but... ever seen something called Quantum Leap, Jeffrey? <laughs> oh, I see what you're saying. Just yeah. have it appear to the audience as Mark Wahlberg. Right, exactly. But every time he looks in a mirror, he sees whoever Yeah, he is. but it's like now you have all these past, and it's like he's having these flashbacks. It's like a guy, so you'll see like a glimpse of his flashback. It's like one guy like puts an axe into another guy's head. It's like, I don't know which one of those is Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, they need so, to have a t-shirt that says uh, I'm Mark Wahlberg on it. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I, I don't want to spend too long talking about this because at the end of the day, it's impressive that Antoine Foucault made a movie. But is, is there think- anything worth watching about this? Like the act, like some of the stuff in the trailer looked all right. Some of the action is okay. I Some saw of a the sword and a plane right. or a helicopter. It's super, yeah. it's super CG heavy, but some of the action is okay. And if you have the ability, just fast forward to the action scenes. But uh, I did not find the movie particularly that good, Aww. unfortunately. And it's it's actually one of the worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> um, that but, is, I kind of have to watch it now. Yeah, now that you I mean, put I'm it curious that way. to hear what you think. I'm curious to hear what yeah. you think. So anyway, uh, it, it reminded me, honestly, the sci-fi movie it reminded me most of was The Happening. And you, you kind mm-hmm. of get that sense from the way they deliver all this, like, very stilted dialogue about infinites and all that stuff like that. So, uh, the movie is infinite. It's streaming right now on Paramount+. Plus. I didn't like it. You may enjoy it. We will see. Hey, it's Jeff talking to you about our sponsor, Babbel. For most of us, learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. I tried Spanish. I tried Italian. Nothing stuck. I didn't like the process of trying to learn and take tests. But now, thanks to Babbel, the number one selling language learning app, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite-sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. In fact, I've been trying the Babbel Spanish lessons And I find them to be so easy to work into my daily routine. That's what you want. Something you can stick to and be consistent with. Babbel's 15-minute lessons make it the perfect way to learn a new language on the go. I'm not going anywhere yet, but I'm certainly excited for when I start to go to be able to be on the go with Babbel. Babbel designs their courses with practical, real-world conversations in mind. Things you'll get to use in everyday life. Other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. 
Right now, when you purchase a three-month Babbel subscription, you'll get an additional three months for free. That's six months for the price of just three. Go to Babbel.com and use promo code FILMCAST. That's B-A-B-B-E-L.com, promo code FILMCAST for an extra three months free. Babbel, language for life. All right. Uh, let me talk about something else I've been watching. Guys, I'm really I, excited about this one. Mm, I'm, I'm, let me, I'm really I want to talk about one of the best things I've ever seen. Go for one of the worst things I've ever seen, one of the best things I've ever seen. Uh, Kevin can fuck himself. Yeah, I'm so interested name, in this. Is the name of the show. And it is streaming right now on AMC or AMC Plus. Like, I have an AMC Plus subscription, and that's how I watched it. The first couple episodes are live. And the premise of this show... So, first of all, I need to give some context to this, okay? Uh-huh. Have you guys heard of a show called Kevin Can Wait? Yes. A movie. Oh, no. Oh, no. Kevin Can Wait. But yeah, the, the play on Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. Kevin Can Wait. Right. Yeah. So, this is a uh, sitcom that aired on CBS. Uh, and it stars Kevin James. Now, now Kevin James has basically like popularized the prototypical... Uh, you know, unattractive male married to a beautiful, long-suffering wife. I, I, I right? think, no, this goes way back. This yeah, is, I mean, you're, you're, the honeymooners. Honeymooners, <laughs> honeymooners yeah. married with children. Okay, so like, yeah. he is Simpsons, one of the people, you know? Yeah, Simpsons, okay. Uh, you're right. Uh, uh, thank you for calling me out. The on. honeymooners but, is the big pull there. Like, yeah, that honeymooners is the, is the one. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, 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 you're right, you're right, you're right. He, I, I should have said he is one of the people that popularized it, right? Can we, can we agree sure. that he's one of the people? Sure, he carried the torch. He carried the torch, right, okay. And Kevin can wait experienced some controversy because Kevin's wife in the show was played by a very talented actress named Erin Hayes. Mm -hmm. And uh, in the second season of the show, uh, Erin Hayes' character, Kevin's wife, was unceremoniously killed off uh, after the first season of the show. And according to an interview that Kevin James gave to the New York Daily News, uh, he... The reason that that character was killed off was, quote, he, he was lit- they were literally just running out of ideas, end quote, <laughs> for that character. Um, they were like, yeah, we tried to make this work with the wife character, and it's just, like, we can't figure out a way to write that character, so we're just going to kill her off. So they killed yeah. her off after one season of the show. Brilliant. Uh, not really. Not really. So, so <laughs> Kevin, Kevin can fuck himself. Basically, like it, the meta big picture is... It is a response to Kevin Kimway. It is a. Just, you've yeah. said enough now that I I desperately want to watch this. Okay. Like that, just that idea alone of a of a show that is a response to another show. I know, right? It's, it's so cool, and I want more of that. <laughs> I know it's it's really interesting. So so the the premise of the show is basically that like there's this guy named Kevin, and he has a uh, he has a wife who's played by Annie Murphy from um, Schitt's Creek, right? Sure, yeah, super talented actress. You, you know how she chose this show. Right. It's just like, give me the next swear word show. Give me the next show I can't tell my parents about. Right. <laughs> well, so the, the premise is that a significant part of the show is shot like a sitcom. Like if you yes. tuned into it, you'd be like, oh, this is like a sitcom. Like Kevin can wait. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah, like Devendra, her, her next show is just going to be see you next Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> you see you Yeah, <laughs> it is a uh, fun like it's lit like a thing. There's a laugh track. The plot is the same as a sitcom show. And then literally the second that Kevin walks out of the room or that the wife character played by Annie Murphy walks out of the room, mm-hmm. uh, 
it transforms, the aesthetic transforms from the sitcom into a gritty Breaking Bad style show. That's so awesome. This sounds like <laughs> WandaVision almost. Uh, yeah. It's very, yeah. very similar to WandaVision. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and you, you basically, you get a sense of what that, the wife's life is like, like That's such a cool idea. I'm I so know. impressed by this. And, 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 and it's, uh, and they, it's like a short film concept that they made a whole series out of. It's like, and when I say that in the most admiring terms possible, I mean, like you give me that premise. I'm like, first of all, awesome premise, bold to not only make an entire series out of it. But also call it Kevin can fuck himself, which yeah. is, is like hard to market. It's hard right. to like. There, <laughs> yeah. there are certain sites that will not carry ads for your show if it's called Kevin can fuck himself. Now, I think it's like the technical name of the show is like Kevin can f himself or something right. like that, right? But I just love how bold it is. It's clearly like I think Annie Murphy, from what I understand, reading interviews, is that she was drawn to this premise because she wants to like illustrate how shittily society treats those characters. Mm-hmm as exemplified by the wife character in Kevin Kim Wait, right? And so I'm not going to say that much more about it for now um, because I think I've already hooked the people who I'm going to hook. Oh, I'm but, watching them. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm watching it this week. I can't wait. Definitely I, that do. sounds it's, awesome. I, I mean, I, I will subscribe to AMC for this. <laughs> I know. It's worth it. It's worth it. Um, they actually have a deal right now. I think it's two months for a dollar each. Uh, so okay. so check it out on, on uh, Prime Video right now. That's how, uh, that's how I'm getting it. So uh, the show is Kevin Can Fuck Himself. It's airing on AMC. <laughs> Is it? Did they release the entire no, season? It's no, it's week by week. So the, uh-huh. only the first couple episodes. So if you want to like wait until the whole mm. show is out, but this is more like AMC can fuck itself. <laughs> wow. No, I'm kidding. But this I is I, this I, is I, shot up was... to the top of my must watch list. Like I am awesome. gonna follow the show week to week. It's it's. I just want to see where it's going. Um, and yeah, it, what's what's hilarious about the show is you really do get a sense like. If you think about it, mm-hmm. if you think about it, you know, you select any character on any given sitcom and it's like, wow, that person's life probably is really hard. You know what I mean? I want to do, I, I feel, I want this to be a thing, like a new genre. Like I want to, I want to, you know, like the Newman show from Seinfeld, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, yeah, or yeah, whatever, yeah. <laughs> like the thing, like you get to see these side characters that only popped in to be the butt of a joke and what their actual, you know, get the hour long drama of their life. I think it's a, such a cool idea. It's such, so it's so, you know, post postmodern, you know? Yeah. It's a great idea, it. but especially for the wives in all these shows who are just like, just get shit upon, to be yeah. honest. Like, that's yeah. just how it goes. Yeah. Check it out. Kevin can fuck himself. It's on AMC and AMC Plus. Um, at Devendra Hardwar's recommendation. Yes. I watched Billie Eilish, The World's a Little Blurry, a new documentary, or not new, but a documentary Recent. on Apple yeah. TV Plus the last year. And. This is a documentary about Billy the last few years of Billy Eilish's life and it's it's almost completely a series of contextless mm-hmm. uh home video footage. Like some of it looks like professionally shot at concerts and stuff and so there is a lot of concert footage, uninterrupted footage of Billy Eilish performing in concerts. So it's very much a celebration of her music. But for the rest of the stuff that's not concerts, it's just no context behind-the-scenes footage assembled together in roughly chronological order. Mm-hmm. And I was watching this, and I was actually getting, like, frustrated by it at first because I was like, what is, like, what are we doing? What is, when is this? What is going on? Like, or or please orient me, movie. Like, I need to know, like, what year this is or what, what we're even looking at right now. Mm-hmm. And so at first I was frustrated, but by the end, the, it really won me over. I, I really think this is 
quite extraordinary what the, the director RJ Cutler was able to put together here uh, because you're you're you have access to some of the most intimate moments of a young superstar's life and you get to see not only what that's like what that experience is like but Devendra, as you pointed out during our conversation your, your uh, review of it on what we've been watching a few weeks ago um you get to see like how extraordinary it is that she has parents you know see, according to the documentary which who knows mm-hmm. how much of it's accurate and what they left out but from what we see in the documentary her parents care deeply about her and want the best for her which is often rare in show business right and they as you said Devin, you're like they raised her in a really interesting way in a very grounded way like she still lives in a fairly modest house uh during the course of this movie even as she's becoming a mega star around the world like a a small la house that uh is gets smaller and smaller as she becomes a superstar is kind of amazing yeah right and i think and i think part of that is because like she clearly like struggles with depression and i think that like the house probably is kind of a safe place for her and also Mm -hmm. that like they were they were able to achieve the heights of creativity like you know many many grammys award winning songs and albums and such in this space and so like in her bedroom why, recording yeah. lo-fi yeah why mess with that why mess with that if if that's working for you like don't don't necessarily mess with it and so it's really extraordinary like and what's what's also extraordinary about it is that it's only the first chapter of her story you you know she's obviously still evolving as an artist now and so the movie's two and a half hours two hours and 20 minutes long and i'm like can I really watch a two hour and 20 minute long movie about Billie Eilish an yes, artist who I am like moderately a fan of, but like, I, I don't like listen to all her albums and know all her songs. And the answer is yes. Like I was at times I was riveted. I was mm-hmm. deeply moved. I was crying. It's, it's really wonderful. It's a really wonderful film. Um, and I, I would say you need to at least be somewhat mildly okay. Listening to Billie Eilish's music. Like if you, if you really dislike her music, I don't know if you're going to like the sure. movie. Also, I, I don't I'm know if we a, can be friends if you really dislike her music, <laughs> but I'm not a big fan of like, I, I, I don't like know all her albums or anything like that. I kind of, she, I know she like has bad like guy. the one album. We're still waiting for her, like her big one. So it's actually, it's not that much stuff out there right, right now. Right. It's really, you, you can listen up. to all of her stuff in two hours basically. Yeah. And so, or two hours and 40 minutes, according to my Spotify today, because <laughs> I listened to all of her music after I watched this movie. But yeah, I'm not, I'm not the hugest Billie Eilish fan, but I thought this movie was awesome. So, if you have a chance, check it out. It's Billy it Billy Eilish The World's a Little Blurry. It's streaming right now on Apple TV Plus. Um and I'll just give another shout out to something else on Apple TV Plus. The Year Earth Changed. It's a hmm. documentary narrated by David Attenborough uh and it's about how uh you know that that meme Nature is Healing. It, they literally made a documentary about it. Um where basically they show like how Earth has changed because of the pandemic and the fact that everyone had to stay inside this year. So uh, that's another thing on Apple TV Plus. It's a documentary. It's like fairly short and it's pretty interesting. So if you want some nature stuff and some uh, reflections on this past year we've had and how it's impacted nature, that's the year the Earth uh, the year Earth changed on Apple TV Plus. That's what I've been watching this week. Devinder Hardwar, hit us with a couple things you've been watching. I've been checking out Sweet Tooth on Netflix, which is. Probably not everybody's cup of tea right now. Like this is another, it's, it's a pandemic story. Guys. Yeah. It's, a, it's about a world ravaged by a killer virus and humanity dies off, but it's, it's really, it's really <laughs> like good. in a good way, <laughs> in, in a good way. Uh, it's based on the comic series by Jeff Lemire, which I haven't read. I heard a lot of things about. It's good. I think what's, yeah, I've heard that. Um, but what is interesting is that I've heard that that comic is really grim, you know, yes. kind of depressing, kind of like just brutal. 
this show is almost like um, it is more like magical and hopeful than mm. I think than anything I've heard from that. And I hear like just reading a couple other reviews that it veers completely away from what the comic does at times. Um, so, yeah, it's set in a post-apocalyptic world where a virus kills off a lot of humanity. But at the same time, uh, animal hybrid babies appear, just appear. Okay, and there are now kids with like animal hybrid features, and um, so society it must falls. have been a coincidence, yeah. basically. Well, it must that have been a coincidence. Who knows? At the same time, we right? we don't know what's going on, um, but uh, society falls apart as it does, and uh, humanity, like just I think, like a large faction of people start to hunt these hybrids because they blame them for the downfall of humanity. Um, surely, nothing crazy can happen, you know, as our society starts to crumble. Like uh, people won't go you go crazy a little in, in public, like they won't forget how to behave. That's not going to happen. Right. Um, so this show, fantastic. Uh, it is created or developed by Jim Mickle and I've liked all of his work so far. He's, uh, what did he do? He directed Stakeland, which I think we reviewed at some point. Um, that was a while back. That was 2010. I don't think we did we review it. I don't think we I did. Don't. Well, we talked about it. I um, think it was I what loved, we've been watching. Yeah, I love Stakeland, yeah. and he also did. We are what we are. Also fantastic and cold in July, um, like a great indie grounded filmmaker. But with this show, he is he's telling almost like a fairy tale story. And the actual show is about a young little hybrid deer boy named Gus, who um, is basically has to go off in the wilderness after his parents die. His father is played by Will Forte. This is the second pandemic project for Will Forte. <laughs> it is like he's coming right out of uh, Last Man on Earth. It's kind of hilarious. But uh, the entire first episode is him like setting up Gus, the boy, um, you know, in this uh, you know cabin in the woods and teaching him how to survive and everything. Uh, things, you know, like it's it's not going to end well for parents in any of these stories. So the kid is orphaned. Uh, that's how all these stories really begin. And eventually he teams up with um, this hunter. Or I guess somebody who is also trying to hunt kids, but is nice enough not to hunt him, uh, played by Nanzo Anose. And the show really is about this, like, you know, it's a young child that needs to be protected and big tough guy who is is kind of hilarious, to be honest, and also really tough and does the work of protecting him. Uh, I've seen a couple episodes so far. I'm really digging it. I like the vibe of the show because it is um, it is not grim, despite being about the end of humanity and civilization so there's that and i'm feeling the story right now i like the vibe of it it is also really beautiful it's shot in new zealand so like every sweeping camera angle you know every sweeping shot feels like a lord of the rings movie it is a very lush vibrant colorful show and it's all about hope i think right now is where like entering the next phases of the pandemic and you know thing it's not going away but it certainly reshaped the way our society works. Uh, this is a really interesting thing to watch right now. How many episodes in are you, Devendra? I'm like two or three, I think. Like it, right. I'm going to keep going. It's only, I think it's it's only eight episodes. Yeah, got it. Yeah, I've heard some mixed things about it, but I'm glad you're digging it. Um, and again, the show is Sweet Tooth. It's available right now on Netflix. Devendra, you've also been watching In Treatment. In the, Treatment, the, the reboot. It's back. Of in Treatment. So, what is In Treatment, Devendra? For those in who treatment. don't know. Yeah, so In Treatment uh, was an adaptation of an uh, Israeli show, I believe, right? Betipul. And it's basically a series. It was run like a soap opera. I believe they used to like air an episode every night, like a half-hour episode. And it's just people going in to, to see a therapist uh, in the original series. And this is, this is kind of like a reboot, but it is, it's still within the timeline. 
of the original, right? So it, it does continue certain things. But the original series is um, the therapist is played by Gabriel Byrne doing some incredible work here. And the show was basically just uh, a showcase for great actors, for people to just like do great acting work because every episode is just them on a couch talking to a therapist. Jeff, this is right up your alley, by the way. The yeah. show is entirely two people just talking to each other. And I was hooked on it. I love this thing so much. So the first season had folks like uh, Melissa George, who we both love. Um, Mia Vasakovska. This was kind of the first big thing she did. Um, and that like her work in, in treatment kind of got her recognized for films and stuff. The second season had Alison Pill. Uh, season three, which I need to rewatch, to be honest. It, it had Irfan Khan, Dane DeHaan. Amy Ryan, um, I really need to go back and check that out. Uh, I don't think I ever finished it. So yeah, this season, it's not about Gabriel Byrne's character, but I've seen his name kind of in the background. So he is like tangentially related. Uh, it stars another therapist played by Uzo Aduba, who played Crazy Eyes in Orange is the New Black. And she is fantastic. This is basically a premise that is made perfectly for uh, for the pandemic because all of her... Um, all of her Inter like all of her sessions are occurring over zoom so this now it's not just two people talking in a room it is uzo aduba talking to her computer in a video chat with other people and the other people include anthony ramos star of in the heights so that's really why i'm bringing it up this week he is her he's the first patient we see and he stars as like a health aide to a very wealthy family who's going and, through some personal issues and, and is it like screen yeah. life like does a lot of the show take place on screen or do they film it like they film it normal, like they don't there's film it like, like screen yeah. life. Yeah, got it. It's so filmed, there's a camera in each person's yes. location. There's a camera yeah. in Uzo Aduba's location. I forget if there are cameras in the other locations because they don't really. The whole point is you're not really seeing much of their perspective, and you're I only see. getting Uzo Aduba's perspective. But got it. yeah, these patients so far also includes John Benjamin Hickey, Quintessa Swindell, um, and a bunch of other folks. Like Joel Kinnaman pops up in here as well at some point. Uh, it's just, it's always been a great platform for interesting actors to bounce off of each other. And I'm really digging what's going on here so far. And I like Uzo Aduba. I like to see her in something like this, you know, where she's not just playing Crazy Eyes and Orange is the New Black. I think she's a fantastic actor. And this is a great way to like be introduced to her and her talents and other things she can do. You also don't need to see all three seasons of the show because I think they had a ton of episodes. At, at a certain point so you don't need to see all three seasons of in treatment to jump into this new stuff but i would recommend it i think in treatment like it's so bingeable um they're really bite-sized and the acting is really well done so check it out if you like gabriel byrne john mahoney is in season two of in treatment just fantastic if you want to see john like some of john mahoney's best work before he passed away um definitely check all that out all right that's in treatment and the reboot is airing right now on HBO Max. CBD isn't about what you feel, it's about what you don't feel, and that includes things like stress, anxiety, and pain. I've been using CBD for a while now when I'm feeling anxious or sleepless or just need a little help uh, just relaxing a bit, and I found Feels to be the best CBD company I've seen yet. It's a better way to feel better. Feels is a premium CBD company that will help to clear your head and help you feel your best. It's delivered right to your door, and it's pretty hassle-free, too. CBD naturally helps reduce stress, pain, anxiety, and sleeplessness. The best thing is that there's no hangover or addiction. 
I found it really useful to take some CBD before, you know, a very stressful live show or something big happening with work. It just generally helps me relax a bit. You just have to place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you'll feel a difference in a few minutes. The thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and you'll probably want to try out a few different doses. So Feels offers a free CBD hotline to help guide your experience so that you can find the perfect dose. Basically, joining Feels monthly membership makes it easy to take care of yourself and you'll save money in every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Start feeling better with Feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Hey, I want to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Masterclass. I am in love with this. Have you seen this? Masterclass has incredible people, the roster of people that will teach you things on Masterclass is unreal. You can learn from the world's best minds anywhere, anytime, and at your own pace. And I'm telling you, no joke, this is my new routine now. Before I go to bed, I watch some Masterclass. And you are listening to the Slash Filmcast right now. I'm sure you are interested in all of the numerous AAA, above-the-line talent that they've got teaching their craft. People like Aaron Sorkin teaching writing. People like Samuel L. Jackson teaching acting. Natalie Portman teaching acting. Helen Mirren. Spike Lee on directing. Martin Scorsese on directing. I mean, it is a who's who of all the people whose minds you wish you could pick about these various topics. They've got them talking in their own voice, teaching the things they find most important. I watched all of the Steve Martin on comedy. So fascinating, so interesting. I watched a lot of the Aaron Sorkin. So yes, there's going to be tons of stuff in our shared hobby, that love of film, film writing, film directing, film acting, all of that stuff. But the thing that's been such a revelation to me is how much fun I've been having with Masterclass watching the other stuff. I watched... Thomas Keller, the guy who founded the French Laundry, the chef, master chef, Thomas Keller, he taught me how to make an uh, omelet and scrambled eggs. And I made this weekend, I made my wife some scrambled eggs based on this technique. And she goes, what, what, what did, how did, what? These are amazing. It's so unlike the ones you usually make. And I was like, yeah, no, I took a master class from Thomas Keller. She's like, Thomas who? And then we had a whole discussion about it. It was amazing. I've been watching the Penn and Teller teach magic to learn some fun sleight of hand for my kids, to wow my kids. I mean, it's it's just endless, the amount of incredible knowledge you can find on Masterclass. I am legitimately blown away by the depth and breadth of knowledge available on Masterclass. And I think you have got to check out all of the interesting things. I mean, you're going to go down the rabbit hole like I did with all of these fascinating people talking from their heart about the thing they love most. You can get unlimited access to every masterclass. And as a Slash Filmcast listener, you get an extra 15% off an annual membership. Go to masterclass.com slash filmcastpod. That's masterclass.com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-P-O-D, filmcastpod, for 15% off masterclass. All right, Jeff, let's get to what you've been watching this week. Well, I, I'm sure like 
everybody else watched the first episode of Loki. Uh, and I did not know what to expect. And my expectations were exceeded. I, it, it is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, it, you know, I was hoping it was going to get weird. It got weird. I, I, I'm just so excited about this phase of the MCU and, and what is happening and how far they're willing to go. The thing that struck me about the first episode of Loki and, and Dave, I think you've seen the second episode as well. Correct. Uh, and I imagine by the time a lot of people listen to this episode, they'll have seen the second episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, I don't know where it's going uh, yeah. as far as uh, that goes, but and why don't, why don't we say we are going to talk about the plot of the first episode? So if you have not seen the first episode and don't want to be exposed to the plot, like skip forward. But yes, it's it has aired on TV slash Disney Plus. We're going to talk about the plot of the first episode. So go ahead, Jeff. Yeah. The thing that I, I find so fun about it and so and so neat is that there was a long, long time where there really wasn't anything like this on television or, or in films, right? The, you never saw, <clears throat> excuse me. You never saw a, uh, a like big budget version of science fiction concepts like this. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why people, I think nerds like me, uh, liked things like star Trek and twilight zone and doctor who it's because they were such a, exception to the rule that you just the only way you found really broad sci-fi concepts or fantasy concepts were in comic books or novels that's where this stuff lived and it did not bridge into the mainstream except in the rare situations of like a twilight zone or a a star trek or or a doctor who and i mean and loki is as doctor who as marvel has gotten you know it is really weird it's it introduces some very dense a uh, pulp sci-fi concepts. And I mean, it's a lot of exposition. There's a lot of weirdness. There's a lot of, um, you know, layering on top of the universe that we know stuff. That's, that's really comic book fair. You know, that is, you know, this, this stuff is also happening in parallel to all the superhero things that you've got. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Marvel is willing to go there with what is the most valuable film and television franchise on the planet right now it it just makes me so excited. It's so it's so cool. We've talked a lot about how they're playing with house money and and really taking risks. I think this is even more of a risk than WandaVision. This is this is really uh dense sci-fi stuff that I think can alienate a lot of viewers that just want to see things explode. Uh but done I think really smartly and really interestingly and and using all of the established stuff from the films. I mean this, but but also at the same time potentially like invalidating a lot of it, right? Because yeah. right. what you're discovering in in the show Loki <laughs> is that there is a level of base reality that you as the viewer have been unaware of this the entire right. time up to and all now, of the things right? that have been deemed extremely powerful right. and uh, terrifying and and high stakes. Uh, are peanuts compared to this layer of reality. Yep. yep. Which, yeah, yep. It, it really runs the risk of saying, well, what, why was well, I so yeah, invested mm-hmm. in that Infinity what was, War Yeah, thing? what was the whole Thanos stuff? Wasn't that yeah. supposed to be important? You yeah. Know? yeah. But I, I think it's just wonderfully um, wonderfully risky and wonderfully odd and so my jam. I mean, it is so my jam. Uh, and I, I think it's cool. Like, Owen Wilson is great in it. Yes. Um, great chemistry between him and great. Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. He's so effortless uh 
Owen Wilson. I'm just so in, in awe of his effortlessness on, on screen that he plays this character that is unflappable uh, and, 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 and dealing with these bizarre things uh, in such an interesting way, you know, and that, like, wow, all right, man, that it's, it's so, it's so good. Um, and, and Hiddleston is great too. You know, like Hiddleston is not willing to make himself look goofy. Uh, he's not trying to be cool guy. And it's, it's such an interesting he's take. Not un, to, you mean he's not unwilling to make himself look goofy? Right, right. That's what I'm, that's what yeah. I meant to say. Yeah. yeah. He, he yeah. is, he is very much willing to look goofy if, yes. if need be. Yeah. Um, he doesn't need to pull that movie star stuff. And, and, uh, he's in this TV show where he's like kind of getting made fun of almost all of his, you know, like there are moments where his, you know, his like sneering villain stuff is poked fun at, mm-hmm. uh, in the, in the show. And yeah. then I, he rolls with those punches really beautifully. It's, it's fun. I'm so into this. I can't wait to see where it goes. Devinger, you also watched the first episode. what do you think of Loki episode one? I did. I'm I'm super into it. And I love the fact that, yeah, Marvel is willing. I, I do feel like WandaVision was honestly the bigger risk because those first two episodes was straight up. Hey, this is you're yeah. watching the no old sitcom. You know, yeah. that is that is a lot to ask. Yeah, of an audience. I think you're like, right about that. Yeah. yeah. But this. Hey, this is a lot of fun. I think this is really creative. This well, reminds I, I, me. Let me yeah. just clarify. I think yeah, yeah. the first two episodes of WandaVision were a bigger risk than the first two episodes. Of I'm Loki, saying that, too. I, but yeah. I think that in the long term. Uh, you know, I, I haven't mm-hmm. seen all the episodes mm-hmm. of Loki, but like my guess is that in lo- the long term, Loki will turn out to be the more daring show. Sure, my sure. Yeah. Most likely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's also being developed by a former producer and writer on Rick and Morty. Right. So it feels like it has that chaotic energy and kind of sense of humor and comedy is that show and community and some others. Um, but yeah, I re- it, it feels a lot like Brazil. Uh, yes. brought into the MCU world and I love all these different characters. I'm eager to know like how this universe kind of connects to everything else. Uh, it is really funny to see like little, um, you know, actors who have been in other roles like uh, Eugene Cordero pops up and he was in uh, he was in the good place. You know, he was one of uh, he was one of one of the friends of that show at some point. Um, but funny to see familiar faces and just like a very different sense of uh, reality of what's going on in the MCU. So I'm digging it. I love when Mumasaku as well. Shout out to her. Um, it's all Lovecraft country from Lovecraft country and his house. Like it is, it's, it's also good. I'm just feel, I still feel a little burned from, uh, Falcon and the Falcon Winter Soldier. Winter Soldier yeah. Like I let's let's I hope it all wraps up really well. And interesting know? that it seems that they're using a TV show to really reshuffle the deck mm-hmm. of the entire film universe, right? This this seems it's like it's going to have broad repercussions across the films that we're going to see uh, much more than WandaVision. I I really thought WandaVision was going to be that and it I don't think it is or was. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, but- was a t- it was a little bit, a little bit in, in the sense that it get it got Wanda to the place where we think she's going to probably be in the next film that we right. see. Her in, right. Mm-hmm. But, but this yeah. seems to be laying groundwork for yeah. everything that's going to happen in this phase. Right. All yeah. the all the crazy Spider-Man movie stuff that, that seems to be happening and and uh, the Doctor Strange stuff. It feels like all of it is going to have its seeds here mm-hmm. uh, there, there's there's still some questions though like it, it it showed the the scene of loki killing uh colson you know yeah. and agents of shield spent several seasons retconning that whole thing so i still don't i don't think we fully know how agents of shield <laughs> exists alongside of all of this so yeah it's all the thing that's so confusing. fascinating i mean now we're in yeah. like serious spoilers for loki sure. so prepare yeah. yourself listener but um for loki episode one yep yeah episode one spoilers uh 
it's fascinating that I had to keep reminding myself that the Loki we're watching is from the it was plucked out uh, of out the of, first movie. Yes, correct. The first, the first Avengers, Avengers movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So he like he watches things that we as the audience have seen that are in his future mm-hmm. that he does not aware of. And it's such a cool place to be where the audience is ahead of the character. Yes. Because we've seen more movies about him. Yep. You know, like that's such an awesome thing to be possible only here, you know? I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, I usually don't celebrate the complete domination of culture by one company like you do, Jeff. But in yeah, this yeah. case, I think uh, it's actually pretty good. Um, it's It made something really, really interesting. I also think, uh, like, it's so different than everything else. And, I mean, really different. Like, uh, even the score by Natalie Holt is just mm-hmm. very funky. You know, yeah, it's, like, really, uh, really interesting. And I would recommend you check it out if you have this is kind of one of those tech. Like yeah. the yeah. look, the look and feel, the production design yes. of the show yeah. is so good. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like it, it's uh, like Brazil is a great comparison. Terry Gilliam's movie, mm-hmm. um, yeah. kind of like almost like Blade Runnery in the sense of like it's like it's very futuristic, but also analog at the same time. Yeah. Right? Also analog. Yeah. It is much so. cleaner than anything Gilliam does. Like I think the best thing about Gilliam right. is it's all messy and dirty, and yeah, it still has like that MCU sheen to it. But I'm, I'm digging it so far. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's Loki, um, and season one is airing on uh, Disney Plus right now. Uh, all three of us also had a chance to finish Hacks, which we're going to discuss in the After Dark today, but uh, I thought we could maybe just mention briefly... Uh, Watch Hacks. What it's we very, about. very good. It's <laughs> very, very good. It's, yeah. a, it's a, like the, I think the finale cemented to me that it's a masterpiece. So please, everybody, catch up. It is one, like my favorite show on TV right Jean now. Smart needs yep. an Emmy, and uh, she's she's a national treasure. Indeed. All right. Hacks is streaming right now on HBO Max. Just uh, had its season finale aired. And, uh, and it was picked re- up for season picked two. Picked up for season two. Yes. Woo. Yes. Yes. So, so happy to hear that. Looking forward to that as well. All right, folks. Let's get to weekly plugs. We're going to do weekly plugs. for weekly plugs the part of the show where we plug something we've been in or something that someone else made that we really appreciate uh that weekly plugs music brought to us by noah ross now i want to put out a a different kind of weekly plug today which is that um our editor uh baby zhang is actually out for the next few weeks um and uh we just want to say that we're wishing her well uh, during this time that she's taken off and we not you, editing baby. the slash homecast. We love you. We hope you're doing well. Um, and that also means that for the first time in three years, I am going to be editing the slash filmcast. Oh, I boy. am going to be editing the slash filmcast. I am going to be editing the slash filmcast. I am going to. Be- it's an editing joke, guys. It's a funny editing joke. Yeah. You like yeah. that? Yeah, I am going to be editing this. Le- anyway, <laughs> you guys get it. I was it was repeating myself. You see? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Anyway, editing, 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 <laughs> editing, editing, editing. Yeah, I got it. All right. Uh, so, anyway, <laughs> um, we wish Beatty the best and hope you're doing well, Beatty. And if the show or the show notes are, um, let's just say, a little bit rougher than usual, uh, that's why. It's because I'm doing it. So um, your patience is greatly appreciated. 
All right. Uh, so a few weekly plugs we want to talk about today. First of all, uh, I am actually recapping Loki week to week on my YouTube channel with uh, Dank Vosden, uh, the host of the Amazing Spider Talk podcast. So uh, we dive into kind of the comic book origins of Loki and uh, a bunch of other knowledge that Dan brings to the show that I do not. You can check that out on my YouTube channel what, at YouTube. What do you bring to the show, Dave? Virtually nothing. Mm, Jeff I suspected as Virtually much. Virtually yeah. nothing. I mean, I have a YouTube channel. Yeah. Um, so that is hard to get. Those are, yeah. hard, those are hard to make, right? <laughs> those are hard to create. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I am really enjoying chatting with him about the, the show. And it's at YouTube.com slash Dave Chensky. That's Dave Chen, S-K-Y. Uh, Jeff, what's your weekly plug? Well... You mentioned it earlier. Uh, it is E3 week, which is sort of the biggest week in video games. And my video game podcast, DLC, is covering it. Uh, we had uh, an awesome guest on this week, Anthony Taramina from GameRant, talking about uh, all of the stuff that had happened before Sunday, which means we didn't get to Nintendo, which is happening uh, tomorrow as we record this, but uh, all of Microsoft Bethesda, all of the big news and uh we had a lot of fun talking about it we also talked about ratchet and clank uh, rift apart which is the big release of the last week so uh check it out i think you'll enjoy our coverage of e3 and i think you'll enjoy if you like video games uh, our little video game podcast called dlc you can find it at five by five dot tv slash dlc i watched the xbox presentation uh yeah. yesterday and uh, I used to work for Xbox, and mm -hmm. it was uh, it was great. I thought they did a good show. Pretty Bunch good, of good show. games. Bunch agree, of good yeah. games. Anything? They need more anything, games. Yeah, yeah. Anything in particular you are looking forward to the most, Jeffrey? Well, I am looking forward to Starfield, but it's you know we don't know much about mm -hmm. it. They showed a, a, a tiny little teaser that didn't really reveal much. But I'm a huge fan of Bethesda role playing games, Skyrim, and Fallout and all those so i you know I, those are my my jam and I, I can't wait for a little bit of a more hopeful uh sci-fi take from that studio um it's the game that kicked off their presentation so I'm, I'm definitely excited about that i'm gonna say that you know you got your halos and your battlefield 3075s or whatever the hell <laughs> but the but the game that i watched and i was like i i like yep i sat up in my say. chair and yep. i was like yeah. oh my gosh this is Rim incredible from Brum? Forza, mm. right? No, actually. Oh. It was uh, Somerville, the oh, yeah. game from the creators of sure. Inside. I was like, oh my, what a, what a unique looking game that also yeah. is beautiful and looks like it's going to break your heart when you play it, you know? Um, also, I'm, it looks I'm, a lot like Inside, too, but yeah. Yes, I'm, I mean, that's I'm true. Really Inside down meets <laughs> yeah. uh, Last of Us, but yeah. Or I'm, Inside I'm meets you, like War of the Worlds, you know? That's yeah, another yeah. Game. I'm yeah. with you, Devendra. That Forza Horizon that 5 trailer. Forza. Oh my goodness. I So yeah, we uh, also on the Engadget YouTube, we're doing this stuff live too. So y'all can check that out. But the opening to the Forza trailer or section is just like close-ups of the environment, like flowers and trees. And you can see individual leaves and it looks incredible. And they pull back. It's a freaking Forza game. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. I've always loved Forza Horizon, but this next one looks incredible. It's set around Mexico too. So it should be a lot yeah. of fun. They're using what? photogrammetry to make oh, it. Oh man! It's like it looks real. It's in, it's it's totally yeah. eye popping. I I don't I don't deny that the Forza Horizon uh, video looked amazing, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm not saying it didn't look amazing at all. I'm curious, like what is it that you found distinguished it from like previous Forzas though? Like I'm have curious. You, like, have you played other like? Yeah, I played uh, Forza Four. 
And yeah, I, uh, they're, they're all good. They're all yeah, good, but yeah, the all sheer level of detail that they're bringing here, like all those were kind of limited by the fact that they had to work in the Xbox One, right? And they, <laughs> that was a powerful system, but couldn't do like the sheer level of minute detail like we're seeing here. I played those games on my PC too. So even when you like upscaled them and ran them at 4K or higher resolutions, they could only look so good. It just looks like the engine for this one, The I, they're doing like expeditions where you could do these missions and just like drive around and have this yeah, like, like a hangout game. Hang, like, I want to hang out and drive. Yeah, there's like yeah. all this multiplayer stuff where everybody just, it reminds me of uh, Burnout Paradise. I mm-hmm. played a lot of that game just hanging out with people and driving around and uh, I'm I'm into this. There's a like you're saying. There's a, this kind of campaign mode where you're just exploring Mexico. That's, That's so good. Yes, yes. Sign me up. Fascinating. And l- last question. I know we're talking a lot about games, but I just I'm curious. Like, what did you guys think of the Halo demonstration? Because obviously, Halo, one of the biggest video games of all time, had some kind of controversy because of the fact that they debuted with some uninspiring footage earlier, and then later on, the game was delayed. Do you feel like they they kind of stuck the landing with the Halo footage? And by the way, Halo is going to be a show that comes out, I believe, on, I want to say Showtime, HBO, you know, one of those. Um, Who knows if and when that's ever going to happen because projects have been attempted in the past. But I'm curious, like, what you guys thought of the Halo footage? Do you guys think that this is a thing we can look forward to now? What did you think, Jeff? Well, I certainly am impressed that they're putting out Halo multiplayer as Mm -hmm. a free-to-play product. It, It it was very much focused on the multiplayer side of the release, which is happening in the fall, um, not the single player side. And I'm curious how the single player side is going to look. I'm much yeah. more of a single player person yeah. myself. Uh, and I I did think it was notable that Halo was kind of stuck in the middle of the show like any other game. It didn't feel like a tentpole moment. It didn't feel like they it were using... It didn't feel using... like an Avatar uh, right? Frontiers did, of Pandora. It did not have the gravitas of, a, of an Avatar reveal. <laughs> mm, mm. Um, but maybe it's because it's a known quantity at this yeah, point. Everybody yeah. knows it's coming. They, they but, can't pretend it's a surprise. They already announced that they would be talking about Halo. Right, yeah. right. But, you know, I, it, it is, it's a big, very important franchise, and it didn't feel like a big, very important franchise mm-hmm. in the context of the presentation. But I, I'm, I'm confident that I'll be playing and loving that game. The, the biggest takeaway from the Microsoft Bethesda conference is... Uh, 27 of the 30 games I already will have. Like yeah. I don't need to pay any extra to have them on day one because I subscribe to Game Pass. And it just be, has become this essential service that is so, so, uh, there's so much value to it. Yeah. It makes no sense not to spend the 10 bucks it, a month. It's extraordinary. For those who don't know, like Microsoft basically has a Netflix for video games. And yeah. it has tens of millions of subscribers. And they're really sh- reshaping the way people play video games. I think it's I think it's very exciting. So, And like Netflix, they have tons of original content coming every single month. Like, you know, Netflix yeah. keeps you hooked because there's a new thing to watch every month. And Microsoft is going to do that too, and I think it's brilliant. Flight Simulator is going to be a big deal. I oh, think yeah. for a lot of Xbox I'm, people, it's so like, beautiful. The, the, yeah. Even the yeah. trailer got me excited. I mean, I already have Flight Simulator, yeah, but it's it's such a beautiful game. You need okay, to do anyway. the VR for that, man. But yeah, yeah it's yeah. all good. Um, also, want to shout out Redfall, that new game coming from uh, uh, Arcane. Arcane, which yeah. is one of my favorite studios right now. The folks behind Dishonored, you know, and a bunch of other franchises. Oh, nice. Like yeah, yeah. it is. Cool. Uh, it it is a multiplayer shooter against vampires and it looks so unique because so many games right now are you're fighting zombies or you're fighting weird twisted mutant you know that all mutants that look like they're from the last of us several games have mutants that look exactly like that right now it is kind of hilarious all right uh well check out devendra's commentary on e3 over at the engadget youtube channel nintendo tomorrow folks yeah i'm sure you're doing stuff too jeff right definitely yeah, that's his weekly plug and check Switch out Bro. Ju- 
Switch Pro. Or what? I don't know if we're going to get it tomorrow, but it's, uh, I'm, I'm hoping. I'm hoping we Super, do. They should just call it the Super Switch because come on. <laughs> Super Switch. And check out Jeff's coverage of E3 over at the DLC podcast at 5x5.tv. That's our weekly plugs for this week. Time to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Cold Save. Now, I know you're like me. You've got friends that you only know online. And you talk to that person, you're like, oh my God, it's so crazy that we've never even met in person. I feel like I know you so well. Well, what if you accidentally ran into that person at a party or something in real life? Probably not going to work out so well, right? It'll be a disaster. Well, what if after that, an actual disaster happened? That is the premise of Cold Save. You can find out what happens next when you watch Cold Save, a new web series from Australia. Cold Save follows Torch, an anxious wreck, and her friends as they try to navigate rising tensions on their favorite game's online network in the year 2038. When the launch party for their favorite game's newest installment is crashed, Torch and her friends find themselves the last line of defense between a terrifying threat and the network's destruction as they hang out and basically try not to think about it. <laughs> this is relatable. Featuring an ensemble cast and shot against the stunning natural scenery of Australia, Cold Save brings the world of online gaming to life like you've never seen it before. With gripping action, an emotional story, and an Australian sense of humor to round it off. This looks so cool and interesting, you gotta check it out. And you can watch the action-packed first episode right now by heading to coldsaveseries.com. That's by heading to coldsaveseries.com. C-O-L-D-S-A-V-E-S-E-R-I-E-S.com. Today, check it out. All right, let's get to our review of In the Heights. What does Juanito mean? Suenito? It means little dream. That's it? No story? All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In un barrio called Washington Heights. The streets were made of music. I am Usnavi, and you probably never heard my name. Reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated. Morning, Usnavi. Pan caliente, café con leche. On these blocks, you can't walk two steps without bumping into someone's big plan. I'm making moves, I'm making deals, but guess what? What? You still ain't got no skills. <laughs> that was from the trailer for In the Heights, the newest film by director John Chu. You're listening to the Slash Filmcast. I'm going to read the plot summary from In the Heights on IMDb. A film version of the Broadway musical in which Usnavi, a sympathetic New York bodega owner, saves every penny every day as he imagines and sings about a better life. Joining us for this review of In the Heights, he is a writer whose work has appeared in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, and IndieWire. Carlos Aguilar, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you guys for having me. It's so great to have you. Uh, Carlos, you have done a lot of writing about In the Heights. You actually uh, profiled uh, the director and Lin-Manuel Miranda. Uh, I guess 
before we we get into the movie itself, you want to talk a little bit about what it's been like to write about in the Heights? I mean, yeah, it's been an interesting sort of week. Uh, the interview that I did for the New York Times came together sort of like over the last week before the release. So that was, you know, uh, interesting. And, you know, after they have done all our press, so I feel like, you know, it was interesting to chat uh, with them, uh, you know, after they had already, you know, answered almost everything. And now the, you know, the controversial aspects of uh, the conversation have, you know, sort of like uh, uh, brought up even more things to discuss about the film. So, yeah, I mean, it's been it's been an interesting uh, sort of conversation within the Latino community. I wrote a piece about for the Atlantic specifically about Abuela Claudia, which I think, you know, really opens up the film uh, with, you know, the immigration story of her character. And uh, I talked to Alice Brooks, which is uh, the, the cinematographer uh, of the film, you know, and all the sort of crazy things they did about to, to, to create the film on location. And yeah, so it's been, it's been a you know, sort of like an up and down of emotions and conversations for over the past weeks. Well, uh, your coverage is very valuable, and uh, we'll link to several of the articles in the show notes. But let's talk about the movie itself. Um, what did you think of the movie overall, Carlos? Uh, I really liked it. I mean, I'm, I'm I'm a fan of it, considering that I had I hadn't seen the music on stage. You know, I'd listened to the soundtrack, but I've never. Uh, had the chance to watch it on stage and that I'm also not, you know, the biggest fan of musicals just in general. Uh, so all things considered, I was very, you know, uh, impressed and moved by the film. I'd seen it last year, you know, before uh, when it was about to open in 20, in 2020. And then I rewatched it this year. And, you know, it's been sort of like a long journey of like watching it a few times and finding new things. And yeah, I'm a big fan of, of, of the themes and the, the different characters and sort of how he tackles the Latino experience from a variety of, of experiences. Uh, yeah. What, uh, what specific theme or themes like really resonated with you just out of curiosity? Uh, I mean, you know, Nina, uh, one of the characters uh, for those who haven't seen it, she's a, a student who returns to Washington Heights from, from Stanford. Uh, and, you know, she's wondering, you know, whether, you know, going to an elite school means betraying her values or her community or whether, you know, continuing to, you know, for her father to continue to pay for school, is it worth it or should she move back and, you know, sort of like not aspire to uh, to college? And I feel like a lot of, you know, children of immigrants or who have, you know, immigrant family can relate to sort of that duality or, or wondering if you you know, if you're assimilating too much, if you're leaving behind your your roots and sort of that dilemma of, of do I stay or do I leave? And, you know, in comparing that to Abuela Claudia's, uh, you know, her sort of being like the first, you know, an immigrant that came decades ago and who sort of seen the changes in the neighborhood over the years and how she lives vicariously through all these other young characters who have, you know, new dreams that probably were impossible for her. Uh, so, I mean, of course, the songs and the dancing and all of that is really fun and engaging. But I do think that within that, uh, you know, the lyrics and the sort of messaging in the story really, really touches on important themes. One of the wonderful things about like a movie like this is um, kind of even though this is obviously a, a specific community and their experience, like I recognize parts of my own immigrant experience in that specific plot line, you know, um, having conflicts with my parents about uh, whether or not our family could afford going to a nice like me going to a, a decent college. 
Um, except uh, it, it wasn't quite as uh, verbalized as what you see in the film. <laughs> a lot of uh, a lot of Asian immigrant families, uh, that stuff is like tucked away and repressed a little bit more uh, than what's depicted on screen here. But uh, I, that part of the plot also really resonated with me. Let's talk about what Devendra Hardwar, longtime New York City resident, thought of this movie. Devendra, what do you think of In the Heights? I mean, it was it was all right, you know, like they. <laughs> A couple of songs, a little dancing. No, it was, this movie is fantastic. And as me, as somebody, you know, who is still aching to return to New York eventually and still missing that place a lot, I'm kind of nearing my one year anniversary here in Georgia after moving during the pandemic. Um, you know, this movie is a lot. It is, it is, I did not expect it to be so, I think, hard hitting in how it depicted the New York experience. I, I, I've heard a few of the songs. I've never seen the musical. Uh, that's something, honestly, I kind of, I'm kind of sad I didn't get to do, and I wanted to do a lot more shows while I was in New York. Um, but my wife uh, loves Lin Manuel Miranda's work. She knew about In the Heights, like she was hyped for a- Hamilton before it blew up and became a big thing. Um, so I've heard a lot about the show for a while, and definitely heard a bit about it. Um, this movie is, I think, like fantastic on so many levels, mostly because. I, I didn't expect John Chu to go so hard for every single dance number, right? You know, it, it seems like the musical itself, this movie kind of writes itself. You don't need to do the big production for it. The songs are fantastic. You get, you know, a great core cast. You can make a nice movie um, that will still be super successful and really, I think, like celebrate what the story is trying to tell. But this movie goes so hard from the opening numbers to like all the big sequences. Um, I was constantly astounded by how it was just put together from a choreography level from how John Chu shot it. Like it is as astounding, you know, to me as a creative feat, as a, you know, as like a big budget action movie or something. Like I was just kind of appreciating it on that level, but I also love it for being like this love letter to New York and the immigrant communities that make New York so special. You know, my wife is Puerto Rican and I have I've spent so much time with her family and her community, you know, in Brooklyn. I'm feeling a lot of this from the food to the music to the way like people just talk to each other. And it's so specific too, right? This this movie is kind of reminiscent of like, um, you know, uh, it's a Spike Lee movie. Do the right thing where I think you get a, a single block, you know, you get a sense of how a single block lives and how people wake up. They're both also centered around uh, very, very hot days in New York, which I think are just such a specific thing. Um, but yeah, it just gets the vibrancy of a block and how, you know, even in a gigantic city, you can have something that feels like a village. And I just love how this movie portrays all that and love the entire cast. Like I love so much about this movie. There are things that are worth talking about too. I think a lot of people have brought up, you know, the complaint that there there isn't enough Afro-Latina representation in this film, certainly, you know, something we should all be talking about and something I'm sure, Carlos, you've been thinking about, too, when it comes to, like, Latin media in general, because it's, uh, it's a problem uh, among everything. Um, but, yeah, we can we can talk about all that. I love this movie overall. I cannot wait to rewatch it over and over again. Yeah. Carlos, do you have any thoughts on that or? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't be the most, you know, sort of qualified person to speak on it because I am, you know a very light-skinned, you know, white-skinned Latino. Um, so, you know, on that level, but, you know, I'm not the most qualified person to speak on it, but I can understand where the criticism is coming from and how valid mm-hmm. it is, you know, that, you know, when, you know, when you have this type of film, you know, that 
almost becomes like our only chance, right? Yeah, the, yeah. To to sort of be at this level of you know fifty five million dollar budget on a for a musical that doesn't have any sort of like big name stars and you know that's trying to you know develop new talent from the community and sort of like shine the community in, in a positive light and you know mm-hmm. you know all these things that feel sort of like you know it never happens for for such a complex, you know, diverse community, you know, so many countries, so many, you know, because uh, Latinidad is not a race, you know, it's a it's a collection of a lot of things, you know, there's black Latinos and indigenous Latinos and, you know, uh, mestizos and uh, all sorts of, you know, different intersections within the community. So when, when that's the case, you know, then of course, you know, it, it cannot possibly represent everyone. Mm-hmm. But I do think that the criticism of, of why was that sort of more the forefront of the creators' minds, uh, you know, it is valid. Um, and of course, they, they did change Nina, the character, from the stage to the movie into an Afro-Latina, but she is, a you know, a very light-skinned woman, right, right. And, and, and she's the only Afro-Latina that's part mm-hmm. of the main cast. So I think the criticism is valid, and I do... I mean, I still... You know, it's, it's one of those things that I can I can love the movie and still understand you know its shortcomings and and mm-hmm. and, and understand where the criticism is coming from because it's it's absolutely valid. Yeah. yeah, I've talked to fans of the musical by the way, and like they they even even mentioned like the musical itself tried to confront and discuss col- you know colorism, which those songs or at least that that texture that material was pretty much cut from the film yeah not, uh, not that, in the final film it yeah, was in the musical was, not in the final film but yeah, yeah. and for, that was around the benny character so right. you can understand like how they could try to approach that yeah yeah so for those who like are, are curious like what the controversy is basically the the criticism is that um the movie is almost completely made up of uh light-skinned afro-latinx performers um and the only black character is uh played by a non-latino actor mm-hmm. uh, Corey hawkins so um uh, that is something that's been talked about i think uh carlos i saw you retweeted i think lin-manuel miranda like tweeted an apology about it today or recently um right but yeah it's i, I think it's uh it's definitely something that is worth bringing up mm-hmm. and at the same time it's also like from what I understand, it was incredibly hard to get this movie made, even with the cast that they had. Um, I'm sure. Yeah. Right. So but just, no, no big name actors. I mean, poor Jimmy, Jimmy Smith. Come on. Poor Jimmy Smith. Poor, like, <laughs> listen, Jimmy Smith exactly is a star a headliner, in my though. mind. Yeah, he's not exactly a headliner, though. <laughs> in my heart, but Jimmy Smith is He is, is in my heart, too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Singing, um, and singing no less. Yeah, Love and, and you know what? I think it's, it's a conversation that really, you know... Uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's more important within the community, but I do think it's very important, you know, that yeah. Latinos have that conversation because, you know, sadly, I do think that for the white mainstream, I don't even know that they, I don't even know that the white mainstream's knowledge of the Latino community is, you know, deep enough to understand these nuances, which, which mm-hmm. is, it sucks, right? Like, I feel like for a lot of people, well, this is a movie that's very, you know, sort of not white, very Latino, and, you know, they don't really see the nuances of, of what Latinidad is and, you know, sort of the, uh, the complications of when you're trying to represent a community, you know, that, you know, that comes from, you know, almost 30 different countries in Latin mm-hmm. America, you know, some of them are immigrants, some of them are born in the U.S., some of them are black, some of them are mestizo, some of them are white, you know, uh, you know, some of them speak Spanish, some that were born here don't speak Spanish, and then the Brazilian speaks Portuguese. So how can you possibly, you know, 
encompass all of that into one film. And I do think that, you know, uh, the, the the problem is that there's only one film. You know, if you if you had more chances at, you know, at making a movie, you know, there's movies about Minnesota and movies about Arizona and movies right, about right. California, you know, and so everyone can have a piece of the pie. But I feel like, you know, yeah, I'm just conflicted about what is the, the right approach, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to think that this movie it's a failure in a way. And, you know, there's also another conversation about the standards that people are applying to it in terms of box office or viewership online. And, and, you know, how does, you know, how can you even compare a property like in the Heights, you know, to something like the conjuring or, you know, (laughs) uh, which I've seen people been, been saying that, Oh, the conjuring did so well. Yeah. But that's a franchise, a horror film. It appeals, you know, on paper, it appeals to, to the white mainstream, uh, as opposed to like a movie like in the Heights that, you know, it's mm-hmm. a musical. That's already sort of like a factor that, you know, a lot of people don't enjoy musicals. And then it's a Latino musical. And it's, you know, it's not based on something that is widely known if you are not, you know, sort of, you know, very cognizant of media or theater right. or, or, or Broadway yeah. or whatnot. Not to mention there's a couple of major X factors like uh, the fact that we're just as a society coming out of a once in a lifetime pandemic and the fact that it's also airing on HBO Max. Right. right. So like mm-hmm. there's all these mm-hmm things feeding into how well this movie did at the box office how well it continues to do um but uh yeah so a lot going on and i think it's worth like at this time you know listening and and seeing what people are saying and when people express a frustration um worth paying attention to that Mm -hmm. um jeff canada the perfect transition to a limerick dave (laughs) (laughs) you can sing it you have to wrap it too jeff It really is a good time to to listen and be sensitive. Okay, over to Jeff for a limerick. <laughs> well, Jeff, what what um what, what you you say over to Jeff for a limerick? What is that? Like Carlos may not be familiar <laughs> oh, with what that is. Carlos, um, I hate to be the one to have to tell you this, but um, Dave, he has very very particular needs when it comes to his participation in the show, and one of the things he's made abundantly clear. Uh, almost angrily is that he will not do the show unless there is at least one limerick in mm-hmm. every episode. And it unfortunately has fallen to me to provide that limerick. I, I don't want to, the audience doesn't like it. No one wants it except Dave. <laughs> and I, I value him on the show so much that I'm willing to, you know, lessen the quality of our final product in order to just keep him around. Well, uh, if so. there's any format in which to express something sensitive and nuanced, mm, right? Mm, it is the yeah. limerick, right? That is the oh, most boy. nuanced yes, indeed. form of Wait, verse. Please also sing it, Jeff. Like, if it's yeah. a musical, uh, you, you got to, like, go with it. Yeah. I, I just want to say that I was informed beforehand. My my friend my friend and roommate, Connor Holt, he's a big fan of your guys' show, so he he made me aware of the limerick. So oh, okay. It, it, it's well, totally our reputation okay. precedes okay. us, David. <laughs> <laughs> your body is ready, then, for the limerick. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and he's still here. You're still Carlos here. Wow. Still showed up. It's amazing. It he's amazing. Very, he's wearing up, full probably. body armor. Yeah. Okay, like he is fully prepared. Uh, okay, so here it is. <laughs> <laughs> full of vibrant and joyous songs. It doesn't do anything wrong. The tale is intriguing, but I found it fatiguing because it's two and a half hours long. Hmm. Comment about the length of the movie. Yeah. I think this movie is very, very good. I, I don't have a single complaint, and yet. I think like Carlos, I I kind of don't immediately like musicals. 
No, same, same. And yeah. I found this movie is so much. Like I, I was not prepared by the breadth and relentlessness right, right. of it. And it, it I don't. Does not, that, it does not build. It begins. No, it's at eleven. It's eleven the whole time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I, I went on about how much I absolutely love Hamilton, and I do. But there's something different about watching a filmed stage production. Yes, than yes. watching a. A, a film that is a musical. And I think I just sort of inherently don't enjoy film musicals that much. Oh. This is, I know I feel bad. I, it, it, it seems like the thing I would really like, but this is, yeah, this is everything you love, Jeff. What do it you, really what, what's is. going on? Yeah. It's positivity. It's, <laughs> yeah. it, you know, it's rhyme. It's, uh, it's vibrant. <laughs> it's color. It's people, you know, doing things in unison. I love all that stuff. It's, it's like an extended limerick session it really is <laughs> a limerick rap session it doesn't Come make on. any sense we've had i mean decades long uh issue about this with with you know dan Trachtenberg, uh who you know just can't quite wrap his head around the fact that i'm not into musicals but you know and i've performed in musicals i've i you know <laughs> I, really, I, oh yeah. jeff you are like killing yourself out of roles here basically yeah i know like, it doesn't make like, any I, sense I but it, I, there's something about I loved, honestly, my favorite parts of this movie are when they're not singing and they're actually like in the drama of it. Because the the whole premise of a musical is that your emotion gets to such a heightened state that you have to sing. Right. And it tends to be the case that once you start singing, the subtext becomes the text, right? Mm -hmm. And you, everything is so on the nose and all the lyrics are, I've always felt this way. And, you know, it's... <laughs> It's like exact. It's the, the the subtext becomes the text, and there's something to me that I, I I don't enjoy that. Now, having said all that, I think this movie is incredible. It, it truly is. I mean, it, it's a triumph on a on a number of levels. It, it's it's gorgeously shot, and I was not. Oh, I hadn't obviously seen the movie, or excuse me, the musical, or uh, heard the soundtrack or anything. And I assumed that it was sort of a, uh, you know, a love story, which it is, but I wasn't aware of how much of a movie it is. There's, it's not just about two mm -hmm. characters. It, it really is, as Devinder said, about a block. It is about, it is expressing the hopes and dreams and lives of dozen or more characters. And you really do get a sense of all of them as individuals. And it, it really is this this tapestry of lives that are all intersecting on this block. And, and I think it's incredible that it's able to do that. It's able to juggle so many characters with so many different things going on uh, and make all of them distinct and clear. But also it, I just found it, I, I had a hard time. I couldn't watch it in one sitting. I was like, I just right, need a break right. from this. And at I, one point oh, in man. the movie, which I assume is where the intermission would be in the <laughs> stage play uh, in the movie, the narrator says, do you want to stop? And and the people he's talking to are like, no, let's keep going. And I'm like, no, I kind of need to stop. I think <laughs> this, is, this is kind of a movie I feel like that would work incredibly well in theaters. Like I miss right. so much. I would have loved to see this in a packed, you know, New York theater, like even the crummy AMC Empire 42 or something. Like I, I would have killed to see this in a jam packed New York theater of people who understand what this movie is selling um another thing worth mentioning here by the way like the fact that this movie packs in so much uh a lot of credit is deserved for uh kiara alegria hudes who did the musical with lin-manuel miranda so we should know her name she did the screenplay for this film so she basically did the adaptation work yeah and and there's a couple of things in spoilers that uh 
uh, also bugged me a little bit, but I don't mean to take away anything from this movie. I think it's a triumph. I think it's just not like super in my wheelhouse as far as a, an entertainment piece. Like it, it just, I just don't sign up for the musicals in, in general. I hear uh, it. Yeah. But, but I do think this movie is in, I came away from it being familiar with so many different characters whose lives all intersect in interesting ways. And I was floored by the, the spectacle of the dance numbers. And there's some moments of, of just pure magic on screen where they're really doing some actual special effects and kind of beautiful expressions of, of, you know, whimsy that I appreciate. But ultimately I, I, I think that it's just not my bag, this kind of movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, I had this weird feeling as well, Jeff, where I agree with you that the the movie is delightful. It's wonderful. The musical numbers are uh, staged very ambitiously and beautifully shot. And you guys really brought out the fact that, yeah. he, uh, as you said, Devendra, uh, John Chu goes hard at these things where like... There's so many people! There, there's so yeah. many people all he, dancing he, at the same yeah. time, He didn't guys. make it easy for himself, right? Wow. They could have done yeah. it where like, it was like a more stripped down affair or, you know, mm-hmm. there was only 10 people instead of 100, right? But like... Uh, there's uh, a one sequence in a pool yeah. where yeah. I'm like, how long did it take to shoot where... Apparently it was freezing and storming rain that day too, <laughs> so they had to yeah. like color grade it to look bright and sunny. Like, oh crazy. man. It's, so it's amazing. So, so just like as a as a piece of work, it's amazing. But I'm, I when I watch it, it almost fell into this odd kind of uncanny valley for me. And this is just my mm-hmm. personal taste. I'm not talking. This is not a statement about the movie. But I, I'm thinking of the other musicals we've seen recently. Okay, uh, Ham- Hamilton, the filmed stage show on Disney Plus. Right. Uh, I love that. Like that was in my top ten of. 2020 and that was very and, hard for me to watch sorry to interrupt you but that <laughs> yeah. was, no no please yeah. uh, that one was very very hard for me to finish i i did it was just i have a lot of trouble with you know musicals that i just literally just filmed from the stage and mm, i gotta appreciate the songs but that was just visually was very monotonous yeah because it's very and, it's very samey the whole time yeah you're watching just one stage yeah yeah interesting. yeah, yeah so, so that that to me took me a couple times to finish it so that to me like i had a very easy time consuming because i can like wrap my head around that and then I feel like on the other end of the spectrum is like a La La Land, yes. which is extremely naturalistic. And what I mean by that is like, yes, some people sing some songs, but like it's barely... There, there's like two big opening numbers, Yeah, there's, right? there's a and big opening it. number and then there's like another number, but it's yeah. like, it's barely kind of scraping this otherworldly area that you go to when you are in a musical, which is like... Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone around us is singing and dancing for some reason. You know, like yeah. it, it's barely it's like like. In fact, like the people are barely singing at all in that movie. I would argue, right? <laughs> and uh, and then you have this movie where it marries the kind of over the top kind of emotion of a conventional musical, but fuses it with a conventional mm-hmm. kind of film structure and aesthetic. Well, it's uh, and, it's it's Bollywood in so many ways. Mm. Like this is. Like the Bollywood version of an American musical, basically. Right, and just in terms of like the sensibility and aesthetic. Yeah. Not talking about the plot or anything, right? Just like sure. just the yeah, aesthetic yeah. and the feel of it. Um, yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I would agree with that. And it's, so it's just kind of this like uncanny valley. And I just don't know if that kind of thing is my like is is like my favorite. Mm-hmm. But then, but then like it's not like we get you know ten of these movies every year that we can evaluate. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So. Uh, but I just I just noticed I felt like hmm, this is very weird 
Uh, it's very interesting. I've never comparing, seen anything like this right. before. It's, it's interesting yeah. comparing it to like other music because they're none of them are quite the same. You have again like La, La Land, you have Hamilton, and then you have like Cats, which is like a nightmarish phantasmagoria, right? So it's like <laughs> there's just all these different. That's so. You know, that's, that's being very kind to cats. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so there's just all these different kind of movies uh, that all have like a very vastly different feel. I almost had like no real way to evaluate it, but I will just say that I, I uh, certainly admired the way that the musical numbers were staged and mm-hmm. um, the stuff about being an immigrant uh, really resonated with me as an immigrant. Obviously, I didn't grow up in this uh, community, but um, I am an immigrant myself and. Um, the uh, idea of like trying to uh, battle the expectations of your parents with your own expectations for yourself, trying to find your place in this world, like all those themes are um, universal in some ways, specific in some ways, and uh, they mm-hmm. really resonated with me. So uh, I got a lot out of it, but it, it, it's not necessarily like I crave I, I think like he, this kind of thing more right. in the future. You know, you so. may, especially if you're not coming from from inside the community or at least adjacent to it. Right? It seems like it's something you got to work a little more at. It's not like Hamilton, which is like, oh, I the founding fathers. I've heard of them. <laughs> right. I know how this works. And even if like I remember when we reviewed Hamilton, uh, I, I remember you guys saying like it kind of took you a while to kind of get into the flow of how it was working. Right. Because it didn't. Uh, again, it was all musical. It wasn't yeah, like it's an opera. Right. It's opera, basically. Right. So I do. You know, yeah. The, what Lin-Manuel Miranda has been doing and his collaborators like is not traditional musical. I am. I honestly have never thought that we'd see a movie about New Yorkers like this. That is so specific and so real, right? This movie opens with uh, Usnavi, you know, walking outside on a hot day in his Timberlands. You know, like it's it's very specific to New York and how people live, the way people like lives revolve around the bodega. It all felt so real and authentic. Uh, the apartment he lives in which I've read was was actually like a really nice modern apartment. They had to like uh, re- retrofit to like like an old New York one. But when they redid that, the way it looks from the kitchen being in the middle of like everything to the weird like floors that never match, like every room has like a different floor thing. Mm. And the apartment itself is so small. Like they basically had to, I believe like basically had to create custom lenses to fit shots inside of these tiny, really tiny, apartments right it is like a very small two-bedroom if that um so the way certain scenes are shots even inside seems like it is all very specific and it captures a specific new york vibe and i love that new yorkers and especially the you know the latinx community around new york and around the world at least have this you know even if it's not a big box office success at this point all right. Uh, well, first of all, the, the the full story of In the Heights has not yet been written. You know, in, mm-hmm. from a box office perspective, you know, there's yes, there's hope that it week. could be one like week. a greatest showman, you know, kind of thing where it like legs it out and uh, does big business over the course of many weeks. We'll see. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, why don't we get to spoilers for In the Heights? Uh, so spoilers for In the Heights starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret. You want to be fooled. All right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So spoilers for In the Heights starting right now. Uh, Carlos, let's talk about some of the decisions that this movie made that kind of were different than the musical. And I guess the biggest one that I think we can reflect on is the framing device, right? Because that framing device, 
uh, is basically impossible. Um, what a twist. In, yeah. in the musical, right? I don't think it's, you could do the framing device in the musical. Um, and I'm curious, like, what you thought of it? Did it work for you? Uh, you know, what were your thoughts on, like, the idea that he's at this beach, but it, it's not a beach at all, actually? You know, like, what did you think about it? I mean, I liked the, I liked, you know, I, it wasn't, you know, I liked it, but it wasn't also something that I felt was, you know, strongly either way or. I mean, I, I thought it was interesting that he's telling this story and that he's engaging with the, the younger generation mm-hmm. uh, through the storytelling. But I, I do feel like, you know, there were many efforts uh, throughout the film to do bring that sort of, you know, film magic to make it more cinematic and play with magical realism. I think that a lot of the numbers tried to do that, um, you know, even breathe with the young girl that represents the young Nina. And of course, with, you know, Paciencia y Fe, uh, the number with Abuela Claudia, which is uh, one of the ones that I feel really had the most reinvention uh, for the film. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting device. And I think, I mean, I think the film kind of needs it to sort of like, you know, almost justify the narration and, you know, to to bring it full circle at the Mm -hmm. end. Uh, Whether it needed to be on the beach, it could have been, you know, I don't know, an elder telling a story in a school or something like that. You know, it wasn't like, I don't feel strongly about the beach, but I guess if it works because that's sort of his, you know, his dream. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I was fine with it. it. It's the beach in his mind, right? It is, he is uh Jamie Foxx and collateral, you know, like it's, it's, it's that it's dream. It's the beach. usual suspects. Ending. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they was, do the usual suspects yes, ending, like yes. straight up. Yeah, I was I was actually gonna make a TikTok where it was like the ending of the movie, but with the usual suspects underneath it, and I decided not to because I thought it might be interpreted as insensitive. But it's, it, she's like looking at all the things on the wall, and it's, it's like it's literally the same the beat. Stuff. Yeah, 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 it's yeah. the same beat. The, it honestly really bugged me because it isn't a reveal. The movie just lies to you, and it does it twice. Right, the movie lies to you twice. The first, the first lie is we're at at the beach because it it's shot at an actual beach, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, with real beach behind you. And then oh, we, that was I guess only in our mind. But if there was a way to do that where the reveal could actually be a reveal instead of just what we showed you was not the truth, then I, I think it would have landed on me a little bit better. Like, there's no point at which. I could have put that together because the movie just lied to me. It just said, Here's, he's at the beach. And then at the end, it's like, no, he was never at the beach. That's, that's interesting. I had a completely, as usual, I had a completely different reaction than you, Jeff Kanata. Um, I actually, my reaction was, as I was watching this movie, I was like, okay, he's at the beach. He, he somehow made it. And then as the movie continues, I'm thinking to myself, there's no way this guy ends up on the beach and that's the happy ending. Right, like, I just, right, right. The, the, the movie Which is, is, that is, the thought is the movie communicating wants to, to me you. through yes. the text of the movie. Like, there yeah. is no way that this is the happy ending. So there must be some subversion of this ending that's going to occur. And in fact, that's what happened. Right. So well, for other- me... It actually really worked for me. Where you I was don't like, want him yeah. to go to the beach. Correct. You As don't you're watching this movie, go. you don't want him to go there. You, but I, uh, if there was a plausible way that <laughs> he could have not been at the beach that whole time, but he is at the beach that whole time. <laughs> but he yes. is. Th- it's showing him there. It's it's just a lie, which is weird. And the other lie that the, the movie tells you is when those kids straight up ask him if anyone, if they ever found who won the lottery, and he goes, no. They okay, never yeah. found. That's not cool. That's not cool. It's, it's I agree a with lie. You. It's just a lie. It's not a reveal. It's like the the reveal is awesome that she, you know, he finds it in the thing. And oh my gosh, I want. But it wasn't time yet for, just, his, for his story, Jeff. But I mean, it's a, it's not a you? reveal if you just tell me the opposite. Of, if you're just an unreliable narrator, it's. It, 
I think it's, that's how all stories work. I mean, I don't, no. I don't understand why you're getting worked up over this versus like literally so many other movies that kind of pull the same thing, or at least here it works. I think on a character level in terms of like, you, you don't want him to go to the beach after two and a half hours. You're like, this guy should stay. And I hope he gets <laughs> together with that girl. Like, I hope it works. I hope that these nice kids have some kids. I hope it all works out for them. But the, the, yeah, it's not good storytelling to say, to have a character straight up ask the question the audience is asking, and then the, the narrator just lie to them in order to then reveal that it was a lie later. It's not, it's, it's just a strange, like if he had had an artful way of answering that kid's question that didn't, wasn't just the opposite of the right, truth. Like, like if he had said like, who knows, or something like that, more yes, ambiguous, you would have been. Some beautiful yeah. way where it seems like, where we could think back and go, oh my gosh, he didn't actually deny right, it. Right, you know, right, that's yeah. the artful way to do a reveal. And I, here he's just like lying to the kid. <laughs> well, okay. a- anyway, I think we understand your position on it. Yeah. Um, but After two uh, and a half hours, this is Jeff's takeaway of the movie. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that's not true. That's not true. Lie. Let's not mischaracterize Jeff's It opinion, just was a bummer but, by yeah. the end. I was like, you know, I thought I thought the end was... I mean, I thought the whole movie's lovely. It's it's a yeah. it's a really beautifully made movie, but it just felt like uh, you're pulling the like usual suspects, unreliable narrator thing on me. That just seems so weird to to like. That's what that's what we're getting is like all the stuff I've been telling you isn't true. Uh, okay, well then, what what maybe is is there other stuff that wasn't true? I, you know, it's just odd. Right, I hear you. I hear you. Let me talk. Let me bring up something else. though. I want to bring up the highlight of the movie for me which I believe was a track called Blackout. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's the one that the uh, Abuela sings. Mm. Uh, Beautiful. I, I think it's the one that happens right before the intermission. That was an incredible track. And not only that, but the direction I thought was really interesting as well. It was, I, I guess, because it takes place in her mind. Yeah. You, you, mean, it, uh, you mean Paciencia y Fe. Okay, I apologize. Paciencia y Fe. I, yeah. I apologize. Um, uh so, yeah, it, because it takes place in her mind, I feel like from a directorial standpoint, they felt like they could really go all out with that one. But that, to me, kind of felt like I wish like more of the movie had been like that. You know, it, what I mean by that is like more fantastical and more abstract in the musical numbers. Like because, the moment where they are dancing on the balcony and then it turns horizontal. Right. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible yeah. idea and execution. And they did it and all also, in one long shot. Too, while right? that they're not revealing how, how they did that. It has to be on a on a big gym gimbal, you know. It has yeah. to be on a, a gimbal, gimbal excuse me. or some some kind of combination with CG as well. I think is mm-hmm. going on there, but yeah. Um, uh, but the uh, that song where, with the um, the abuela is just incredible because first of all, like the message of the song and the the idea of like the weight of of what an immigrant parent feels and experiences and how like they experience the next generation's up and coming nature. Um, and just like how visually inventive it was. It uh, is beautiful, yeah. but it's, it, it's funny, Dave. I, I, again, I had the opposite <laughs> feeling. I think the for me, for my money, the highlight of the movie is uh, as much as I love the big spectacle stuff, mm-hmm. the highlight of the movie was the, um, the champagne song, which mm-hmm. Seemed to be clearly, it's shot on, you know, a steady cam all in one long shot with beautiful choreography, just walking around an apartment and clearly seems to have not been dubbed. Like it's these two actors actually singing it in the moment, you know, um, which I'm sure a lot of the big dance numbers, the music is dubbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just thought the intimacy of that, it's so beautiful how the camera dances with them, moves around them, is so close to them. It's something you could never achieve on stage. 
and you get these intimate, almost whispered singing between the two as they're, you know, sorting through their feelings of, of her wanting to celebrate this moment and him not being able to open the champagne. And it's like this very naturalistic scene that happens in song. I just thought it was so beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. that was a great. I, I like yeah. that one as well. That was like you, one of my top ones as well. You know Carl, what's great about yeah. this movie is that, by the way, there's just so much, so many different things. But Car- yeah, Carlos, I, I want to Car- hear. Carlos, do thinking. you have a favorite uh, song or moment in the film for you? Uh, the grandma uh, by Saint Saint Fair is mm-hmm. my is my favorite since the first time I saw it. Yeah, like like you said, you know the the fact that he's detached from reality completely uh, really you know allows the the director to you know make it more surreal and sort of play with the form. Uh, I was very shocked to to learn that they actually shot it in a in a subway station because mm-hmm. you know for me a lot of the numbers you know like with many of the numbers it would have been the easiest you know the easier choice to to create a set you know as opposed to bringing like real uh, trains, you know, and and sort of like uh, bring the lights down to this platform that was like three floors uh, lower than the actual the the functioning mm-hmm. train station or whatnot, or like the the moment there's a transition in that in that sequence uh, where the grandma's grabbing the pole inside the train, yeah. and then it, it turns mm-hmm. into it's like, like a beam a, of light, right? Right, yeah. and those she were, grabs and, it, so yeah. cool, and those it's, were it's practical, like, yeah, practical beams of light yeah. that they created and they match cut it to the, you know, to bring it back to the press. And so I think that one for me, you know, of course the emotion of the of the story really works, but just the fact that you know they have the the dancers with with custom with customs from you know mid to Cuba, and then you contrast that with you know the, the the present and how she's walking in, in into her memories essentially that was really really well mm-hmm. executed i i didn't read about this by the way they they probably shot that there is like a abandoned closed down railway station um that is mainly used for film shoots so like uh michael jackson's bad was shot on that at hoyton skimmerhorn in in brooklyn so they can do a lot, and they also have the old trains. Uh, if anybody goes to New York, if you go to Brooklyn, there go to the uh, you know the Metro Museum. The, uh, I think it's just a train museum, but you can walk into the old, like the ancient subway cars, and it is wild. It is like you're going to like going through time because the seats are all like perfect and the signage is all right. So worth going to, and yeah, that apparently like they wanted to shoot this in a Washington Heights subway that has one of those super long escalators which I don't know if you guys have ever seen those sorts of things, but imagine like four flights of stairs all at once, you know, on, <laughs> yeah. on an, like it is, it is wild. And apparently like that was the vision early on, but I think this one works really well too. I also really love Carnaval del Barrio, the mm-hmm. one that takes place right after uh, the grandma passes away. Um, just because, you know, the entire cast is there, it just feels like a big celebration and just, uh, just like a lot of energy that I feel sort of, you know, revitalizes the film for that sort of final stretch mm-hmm. yeah it's an incredible song and it's, it's such a neat moment uh you know rallying the entire block to dance and the dancing in that scene is just incredible it's incredible everything is good yeah like, did, um, did you have a favorite thing you wanted to mention before we wrap I it mean, up here I, I feel like every 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 new scene everything that happens in this movie kind of became my favorite thing um i think the pool sequence the whole pool dance sequence um where they just really go all out, I think is kind of astounding. But this movie got me right at the beginning from the opening number. Like so many creative shots too. There's one of like uh, Usnavi like looking out the window, I think, and like yeah. the reflection of it's all so the cool. dancers. And it's like 
that's yeah, yeah that was that, really that's good. not a real reflection probably right yeah. but no, it also no looks so freaking cool um and then like you cut to the the entire intersection just filled with people dancing like perfectly it is like this movie there's a lot of emotion in it and it is like i don't know i just found it really infectious and contagious um want to shout out a couple of things too like uh, actors that we probably don't always notice but i love that uh, stephanie beatriz from uh brooklyn 99 is in here a whole bunch of actors like and also mr um mark anthony kind of shows up for just for just a little scene and guys i i kind of have always thought that mark anthony could be a good actor if you remember uh, man on fire he plays mm. a really good asshole in that <laughs> movie like he is just so He's so slimy and smarmy and like he, but he's so good at it. In this movie, he has what, two minutes to kind of make an impact and dude just does it. And I really dug that scene. He used to be married to J-Lo, if if that's a bigger reference. (laughs) (laughs) And he's a very famous singer that. I mean, he's a, people should know he's a very famous singer. Uh, My (laughs) wife keeps taking all her sisters to his concerts and they don't care, but she does. So, hey, it's fun. I don't think he does any singing in this movie. No, it's so weird. Right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, I, uh, you know, to put what I said earlier in a different way, I think that, and it sounds kind of dumb to say this, but you know, that hasn't stopped me in the past. John Chu, I think really took advantage of the fact that this was a film, right? Like, Mm -hmm. and he could have just done a fairly like stripped down, uh, version of the musical where it's like, Hey, yeah, we hire like, you know, 10, 20 people to like do these synchronized dances in Mm -hmm. these kind of small scale locations right. like that's that is a completely viable way to make this movie he didn't sleepwalk and, through this movie yeah. correct like everything like th- there was a lot of visual inventiveness between you know the the tracks we've talked about and the, the you, jeff i think you mentioned the one where they're dancing on the on the building and they turn mm-hmm. you know they turn sideways and stuff like that like they really tried to make the most of the fact that you can do things with film that you can't on stage yeah. And I think that ends up being it ends up creating something wholly unique, um, very interesting and uh, definitely worth your time. So at the end of the day, if you really think about it, guys, it's pretty impressive that John M. Chu made a film. Mm-hmm. It, it really is. It really yeah. is. And I think that's going to bring us to the end of this week's episode of the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast at gmail.com. You can support this podcast one of two ways. Patreon.com slash filmpodcast. Sign up for uh, some ad-free episodes, or if uh, you sign up at a high enough level, you can get some bonus After Dark episodes. Today, we'll be talking about uh, Mailbag uh, as well as Hacks. And uh, you can also leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. That would really help a lot if you could do that, and it's free. Uh, You can find our spoiler bumper from the work of Kyle Corwith, who is on YouTube right now. This episode was edited by me, David Chen. Carlos Aguilar, <laughs> it's been such a pleasure to have you on. Is there something you'd like to plug? We'll, we'll put a bunch of your stuff in the show notes, but anything specific you want people to pay attention to? Um, no, just follow me on Twitter. I'm always you know, doing recommendations of all sorts of international films or Latino films or animation. Those are the, the biggest things that I cover. So I'm on Twitter at Carlos underscore film. And yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It was fun. Thank you. Thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure. Next week on the Slash Filmcast, we're going to be reviewing Luca, the new film that's going to be on Disney+. Plus. Uh, should be a lot of fun. And it's going to be our last review that is going to be streaming only. Like Theoretically, after that, mm-hmm. we're going to be reviewing a theatrical release. Which one? I can't say. <laughs> you um, take your pick. Yeah, But I can say that it doesn't matter whether you, you win by an inch or a mile. 
And, and, and it rhymes with Jeff's mine. Wow. It's pretty rough, Jeff. Okay. Anyway, Luca next week on the SciShowcast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. We watched the movies.